Fusion Patrol is a listener-supported podcast. Find out how you can help support us at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. This is the Fusion Patrol podcast. Each week, we look at a different science fiction TV episode or movie and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Simon. And tonight we're looking at the Doomwatch episode, Public Enemy, by Patrick Alexander. In the town of Carlingham, a healthy young boy kicks a football onto the roof of a plant. With the help of a neighbor, he climbs to the roof to retrieve the ball. In seconds, he is dying, unable to breathe. Doomwatch are soon called in by a local alderman, Mr. Payne. He's been asking Doomwatch to check out the local metallurgical plant, Carlingham Alloys, which he thinks is a health hazard to the town. Now that a child has died, they finally agree. Quist even thinks they should have checked it out earlier. Jeff Hardcastle studied at school with Tony Lewis, chief metallurgist at the facility. Lewis is a driven hothead, just exactly the kind of guy who would skimp on safety if he could achieve his goal. Lewis is working on a new, super-secret and potentially highly valuable material, Superstar, an enhancement of their previous material, Omnistar. As Quist team investigate, the plant workers discover the boy's cause of death. His football broke an exhaust pipe on the roof, which vented beryllium vapor, killing the boy. Safety procedures were in place, but they were not adequate to prevent this from happening. Lewis reminds everyone that the boy was trespassing and had no right to be on the roof. Soon thereafter, another worker dies from the same thing, this time in a different place. Again, safety procedures were in place, but weren't quite up to the job. The shop union foreman would be happier if Doomwatch would make some suggestions for the safety of the plant, and management is entirely on board. Only Lewis maintains that their precautions are good enough. Doomwatch make their suggestions, and the plant manager assures them he'll get head office to go along with it. Everyone is happy, until the head office decides to close down the plant rather than foot the 100,000-pound renovation bill. The plant just isn't profitable enough. All the workers will be relocated to Leicester, given new company housing, and work in their state-of-the-art safe factory. Except nobody wants that. Alderman Payne is a local businessman who runs grocery stores and dry cleaners, and he'll be economically stressed. The families don't want to leave, the union workers don't want to go, but neither do they want to be laid off for six months if the renovations get done. Quist and Doomwatch are now the public enemy, and are called before a stakeholders meeting to be raked over the coals. Quist stands his ground. He offers some alternative suggestions, all of which would mean some pain for some segments, and are rejected. They ask the government to pay, but the taxpayers won't have that. Quist boils it down to a simple point. Everyone wants a cleaner world, but nobody wants to pay for it. The end. Public enemy. So, (laughs) how do you feel about public enemy? I really, I, I, this is, this is to me, you know, this is what Doomwatch has done really well in season two. And it, 
it's a it's a kind of relatively um, complex or new new nuanced look at the mm. way in which health and safety and uh, different uh, forms of societal organisation interact. Because obviously, you know, it's, it, there's a there's a critique of capitalism there, but at the same time, no one is quite willing to take on the the costs that would be associated with providing support at um, state or city level for for uh, the factory. And ultimately, Quist's point is it's it's the key one, isn't it? You if you want if you want a healthy and safe environment you have to pay for it and it's still you know i hate i hate to sort of say spoilers guys but um in 1971 or 2 whenever this was 71 i think there's a line about saying economic growth one day it's going to choke us um and i think mm-hmm. there's a reference to you know in 30 years or whatever and you're thinking well yeah we're 50 years on now and yep this is still the argument that people are having about about global warming, about the, which is still just know. basically pollution. Absolutely, absolutely, you and know. and you know someone someone has to pay for it in some form. But what's nice about the way this episode is set up is that it's a very it's it's done in a in a microcosm where you actually get to see all of the players in that. You get to see what the 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 residents of Carlingham think what the the workers and the workers' wives you get the middle management you don't get the the uh, capitalist fat cat bosses or whatever but you you well, in, off in stage, a way but yeah. they are off stage but they are also easy to demonise in stories like this and actually what's being critiqued here is the free market and the free market the point about it is it is essentially faceless it's a force of nature and so it's kind of appropriate that you don't you don't get to see the people making those decisions it's just reported down a a phone line oh hey it turns out Mm -hmm. that this is not this is not economically sensible and it's not you know the reality is if everyone were to move to leicester they could have a safe and efficient factory that would meet their needs much better without you know without the the, the costs that would be incurred trying to up, upgrade Carlingham but you know inconvenience and all that stuff so you know not going to happen you know you know what i i and and all this is is spot on and i'm i'm absolutely we want to talk about this some more what i thought was really interesting about this story is that one it laid out what it was going to get to very very early in the story even though it was a throwaway line and it had to do with with um alderman Payne's dad used to own that factory and he sold it because it wasn't profitable and Payne complains about the way the new people are running it. You know, they're cutting corners. And that's the problem. My dad never cut corners. And I think it might have been Quist that said it to him. Well, but, you know, your dad couldn't make a profit at it. Right? Yeah. And it's it's almost a throwaway line. And it's very early in the story. And they portray Lewis as this demonized Dr. Frankenstein who doesn't care. <laughs> 
right? Except for his work and the progress that he makes. Uh, and you think he is going to be the villain of this piece, and he really isn't. I mean, he is the jerk in this piece, but he he's is not jerk. the villain. Yeah. No. But he's not the villain. And he is just he is just absolutely pragmatic at this point, and we have to watch everyone else get the economic nails driven into their toes so that they come around to his pragmatic point of view, even though he's the jerk. Well, and but he's not. He's it, not. He's not that. He, I'm not sure I would call his his approach pragmatic. He's actually he's, oh, he's, he's driven. And what you're describing as pragmatism, I would describe as a kind of a disregard for human life uh, for okay well there, there's sake. some of that it's but, not but it's not extreme it's not extreme i like i like the fact that he you know he's on the edge of that he's not being massively massively unreasonable but you can just tell that when it comes down to it if it were just his decision he would he would dispense with a number of the safety precautions that are already in place because he doesn't mind if people die what he minds is that they come up with what you call it before the Americans superstar, come up yeah. With what you call it, what I liked about the way that this was, this was then this played out was that we were we were heading for a, a situation where, I mean, as you say, it looked like he was going to be the villain of the piece in the sense that w there was going to have to be some conflict between that drive that he had, which was all for sort of disregarding putting you know the the middle management and doom watch were all in agreement let let's spend two to six months putting in some sensible safety measures and they were sensible safety measures because that's more important than the two six months that we would we would lose okay right fine and he is absolutely outraged by that and you think that what you're heading for is something where he's he's somehow going to force the issue and you're and in order to resolve it either he is going to do something that you know causes some more considerable loss of life or he is going to have to be thwarted in his goal and what actually happens is the decision comes down the telephone line and he comes rushing in saying, oh, my God, the factory is going to be closed, thinking this is terrible, not because these guys are going to lose their jobs or because these guys are going to be uprooted and moved to Leicester, but because he thinks he's not going to be able to finish Super Thingy. Well, I don't think anybody in this story cared about what anybody else. So, in other words, uh, you know, Alderman Payne didn't care until it was him, but he didn't really care that the workers were going to be out of work. He was or gone he was cared about himself so i, I think I, I, I don't i think I don't everyone is looking at it through their own selfish lens i don't end. know that it's By the time quite the end. that cynical i think but i i, I think every, everyone has their own position and the the extent the extent to which they have sympathy with the other i mean in a way it's not like alderman payne is saying these the you know net to hell with these people's safety and health and 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 their working conditions he's actually saying what they themselves are saying which is we would rather stay here and you know and 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 risk risk another incident of this sort than we would to 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 move to Leicester or uh, well, whatever the, okay. the other options are I, what, i'm going to 
Go ahead. The, what, what the episode, it seems to me, is critiquing is the, is the fact that when they, had, when they had fingers to point, they were pointing those fingers, but they did so without thinking through the logical consequences of what they were proposing, that someone would have to pay for this. And, you know, that that within within the, the, the capitalist system, the free market system that we're working, then the risk was that it wouldn't necessarily be the company. And therefore it might mean, you know, paying more taxes or whatever. And it's and it's this it's this wishful thinking that we can somehow resolve these situations without there ever being any cost to us ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, and notice and, that the finger that pointing, the point. which was going around, ended up ending up going at the messenger in mm. the end. The public, right? Enemy. I mean, right? They're all pointing around everybody else, and then suddenly it's like, no, the people who are telling you what you have to do uh, are the ones that are the the bad guys in this. I, I just wanted to step back and just draw a slight distinction that I feel is is an important one. Yes, pain in the end is mirroring what the workers are saying. He's like, well, they don't want to, you know, it, it's, we don't, that's okay. They don't want to, they don't want to go to Lester. I don't want them to go to Lester. So that's the same. And it's, you know, it's, it's a risk, but it's not high enough a risk. Well, there's a difference between Payne saying it. He's not the guy at risk. And it's a difference between him saying that. And it's a different between the workers saying that if the workers all get together and say, we'll take the risk, they may be wrong and they may be making a bad decision, right? But they're not saying to hell with the other guy. They're saying to hell with us. Pain is saying to hell with them. It's like, eh, I don't care if a few of them die as long as I keep my stores going. So I, maybe I, there's, a, there's a distinction there. But I agree that they're all on, they're all on the same page at the end. It's just, it, it, you know, that is, that's kind of... And the reason that I said that Lewis wasn't as bad... Because I didn't get the impression he'd be willing to undo the existing safety protocols. I'm willing to, th- I get the impression that he thinks that the safety protocols are adequate, provided that people have some responsibility for themselves. And he draws that example of if a kid wandered onto a railroad track and got killed by a train, we wouldn't, we wouldn't stop all the trains. But no, of course, but- of course, it's a complete false dichotomy, and indeed, we might stop the trains if it turned out that the only way to safely fence off that section of track was, you know, to for workers that- to go along the, the the track, and you had to close the line for a day or two. I mean, that's entirely feasible. But actually, in all probability, you would be able to address the safety issues in other ways. There would still be a cost. Right. But, and, you know, I mean, it used to be trains crossed roads without any barricades and they put them in. Not for a long time. Not everywhere. Well, they're not everywhere here either, but they are, you know, any major road will have a, will have a a barricade that comes down. Uh, But then a lot of trains don't run through our towns. So it's a little bit different, but, you know, it it depends on the level of traffic uh, that the road gets and the level of trains, I'm guessing, as to whether or not they put barricades, lights, just signs that say "look out." Um, it also depends on other things. In fairness, the culture of risk within the country, which is very, mm-hmm. very different between 
um, European countries. I, there was a, a particular oh, yeah. lecture where someone described being in Sweden and, and just being escorted across the track at the railway station where here it would always be on a footbridge. And his his kind of reaction was very much, well, you, you know, you can't possibly do that. But it's it's actually, it's not based on any real comparable risk to something like crossing the road, which we do every day and which is much more likely to result in injury. So there's there's that and then there's the whole there's the whole kind of legal background the reason that our railways are so heavily fenced um there have been fences on british railways for years and years and years i mean decades if not over a century i think bit for laws to do with preventing uh, animals from uh, getting onto the line uh, but i think there are no there are no fences on our railways here <laughs> Sure, it's exactly. I've never it's very seen different one. in different countries, and and then yeah. and then there was a, a, a legal case uh, to do with uh, someone getting onto the track, and and uh, the surprising precedent in which the railways w- were shown to be liable, and then suddenly there were big heavy fences everywhere. You know, and that's how over the last two or three decades, I may have some of the details of that wrong, but it's an it's, example. It's always a tort. The, it's all. It's always a case of tort it's it's instead of instead of <laughs> responsibility it's a reaction to your liability it, it is so the so the so the point the point is that i that i think there there are a range of viewpoints about this and lewis lewis is on one extreme because he he is more or less like this is not my problem if people go and get themselves killed and we should not be we it should not be costing us uh, to to prevent accidents that would be avoidable if even if they're foreseeable accidents they would be avoidable if other people took responsibility for them and i'm not that sympathetic with lewis's position i think that the the situation where you could have this beryllium leak as a result of something relatively uh, minor like a football hitting a pipe is kind of worrying and i think that the parent company obviously saw you know that that that, that those standards were too low for their new factory so in leicester clearly they had something that was much safer than this and so part of the reason was they were doing up old old properties and so forth but but nevertheless i entirely grant you're on a continuum here and lewis isn't some kind of horrible monster He's just a bit of a jerk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I I I was largely impressed by the, the 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 way this episode flowed through and the reveal of the episode and and you know reveal of who the public enemy was because uh, you you easily could think it was the plant. Well, this is the other thing I liked about this episode, which is that it asks the question of of which I sometimes feel you know that the do the. The Doomwatch format is a way of telling stories. It's it's a long time since anyone mentioned the fact that Doomwatch is the name of the computer. Nevertheless, yeah. this is a this is a story that asks the question: What is Doomwatch for? What is their role when they're having that conversation at the at the beginning? And Quist say uh, that Quist says we should have looked into this case, and they're kind of saying, well, you know, we we did look into it. Actually, we can't take every cranky alderman 
seriously because we don't have the resource to do that. Isn't that the same argument that, you know, we did take safety precautions and it turned out that those precautions weren't enough. We did look into it. It just turned out we didn't look into it enough. It's, well, it's not not, enti- not entirely because because you could, the argument comes from the same place, but the responsibility is then on whoever funds Doomwatch to say we need more resource for Doomwatch because yeah, well, but, if they but were Doomwatch is a were, safety protocol. Sure, but it's a it's, al- it's also a a six person team who have to cover all sorts of. I mean the breadth. It would be it would be pretty dull if they were actually as specialised as they might realistically be, if it were an actual department, because they have an enormous breadth to cover, and they don't have the resource to cover it in the kind of depth that you know maybe Quist is talking about at the beginning of the episode. Nevertheless, the episode presents that argument about um, Doomwatch's role in it, and and you know whether it should be investigating these things but by the end of it i think there's a very solid answer about what doomwatch is for and that is it's for telling the truth it's looking at it's it's looking at the situation and looking at the science and this is it, from the plastic eaters onwards this is what i think the best episodes have been about they've been saying regardless of what the kind of political expediencies in the situation might be you can't ignore the facts and Doomwatch is there to state the facts and to amplify them so what do you take from the conversation with Duncan at the end and Quist and Duncan expressing the minister's concerns but when when Quist says you want me to withdraw or change the report and he says no it's like what was he expecting from him then he (laughs) It's a it's a political thing. He can't say withdraw the report. Well, that was good. I guess that was exposed. basically my question. <clears throat> I guess that was my question. Is he trying? Is he lying when he says no? I don't want you to change it. I, I'm I'm just yes, expressing um, the yes, concern. Yes, he is. Okay. Yes, yeah. Okay. What, what he wants is for what he wants is for Quist to tone it down, but to tone it down of his own volition, so that there, so that no, there's no. Um, trail back to the the minister when when you know when the um the stuff hits the fan it's to me in a in a way and i was i was thinking this earlier earlier today when i was thinking what what to say about the episode to me the episode is like an edition of yes minister without the jokes because one of the things that yes minister is so terribly terribly good at satirizing is all of these kind of political games that get played where everyone has their own agenda, everyone wants a particular thing out of it. And, I mean, usually in Yes Minister, it's ha- his hacker gets caught up in some cause at the beginning and then he ends up espousing completely the other thing because he he gets captured by the civil service. Um, but that in, in this case... It, that role is Payne. That Alderman Payne is Jim Hacker in this. Mm-hmm. He he starts off from one point of view, and he ends up, and it and it's not quite. You know, there's no there's no Sir Humphrey manipulating things in order to to do it. But it 
it it it is exactly the kind of thing that 10 15 years later yes minister would be satirizing so effectively okay let me ask this question i i so quist like i say he boils it down at the end you want a cleaner world you got to pay for it nobody wants to I think we can safely say that when you walk out of this episode, you're you're supposed to be agreeing with Quist. You're supposed to go, he's right. If we want a cleaner world, and we all want a cleaner world, we're going to have to pay for it. Somebody has to pay for it. And everybody wants it to be somebody else. I, I feel and I, that this episode... It doesn't undermine that point. It, it It drives that point home. But it does such a good job of i i don't blame all the people in 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 the end of this i i don't i don't look at the union workers and i don't look at pain and i don't look at at the factory manager or the the factory corporate as quote unquote the bad guys i look at them as i understand them Um, absolutely and i can't quite i can't quite indict them and say you're all wrong because uh, no one's you know, wrong. How, it is how, it's, how it's a you... properly nuanced new because the the you know the managers in the factory they're not they, he's they, like yeah we'll do it yeah exactly and they 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 the the uh the union guys they they're quite you know they're quite pragmatic i suppose in their approach um they they have their they they assert their demands, but they at the same time get listened to. So there's a there's a reasonable yeah. relationship going on there. Even Lewis is, you know, he he is he is after doing something that is for everyone. You know, it's it. There's a shared interest in it. There's all of all of the you know the 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 bosses. The company will do well, but the workers will as well if the factory actually produces the the thing they're aiming to produce. So I agree. I th- you know, I think everyone is playing their part and they all have they they all have motives that are not necessarily pure but understandable. And even if they also have motives that are a little bit more selfish, that's not all that's driving them. Right. And I like the level of nuance that you have in that because at the end of it you do get a very forceful message that something has to be done, but that no one group or one individual is can be made to take responsibility for it. It's everyone's responsibility. I, I also like the fact, and it, it the union workers, the plant manager, everybody but Lewis, basically. Um, but particularly in the case of the union workers, I felt that this was... Uh, and and as you know, union workers are, are portrayed much more negatively in the United States uh, than they are in the, in the United Kingdom. Uh, that they didn't have a list of demands. They had they had we we want safety, and we're willing to listen to Quist and take their recommendations to Doomwatch. Like they're not they're not sitting around making up their own stuff. They're willing to take from the experts. Yes. And that's good. The plant manager seems to be the same way. Um, because he says, uh, you're welcome to speak to Doomwatch, which I thought was, you know, a very positive thing. Yeah. He, uh, he, he comes up, he comports himself 
beautifully in this episode. He, he comes off as, you know, the guy who is trying to do the right thing under the conditions he's got. And he cares about the people that are working there that they don't get hurt. And he wants the project to get done. And and I, I liked him a lot in this story in, until it comes down to the... All right, well, you know, there you go. They're gonna they're gonna close the factory down. It's not his decision, so he doesn't have to be, you know, he's not the villain in the piece from that from that yeah. standpoint either. Um, Payne is a little bit, I, I, Payne is a little bit more like Lewis in that it does feel like he has an axe to grind against yes. the plant, and he's, uh, you know, he's got his own ideas of what needs to be done. I think from the beginning, even if I don't know what the specifics are, but you can just definitely tell. I don't know what's going on there, but we've got specific things we have to do. And it doesn't sound like what he's looking for is the scientific answer to what we have to do. What it looks to me like is he wants Doomwatch to come in and tell him it's more about finding out that they're at fault, right? It's more yes. about proving yeah, yeah, that yeah. they're bad. Um, But yeah, it, it just, it, 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 it's really good episode. Um. I don't want to. I don't want to. And when I say that everyone is everyone is responsible, I don't. It, that sounds like there's a sort of no one's to blame or everyone is equally to blame. And it, I, I, that's not quite how I feel about it. It's more like there is there is no there is no free lunch on offer here. There mm. is a there is a collective decision to be made, but it is a decision which involves making choices. And yep. so, you know, you can either decide, yes, you want a a free market and that is the, you know, the free market itself is a, an efficient way of managing resources. Or you can say, actually, there are some other externalities and part of quality of life is being able to to basically keep Carlingham running as a town. But that will involve investment from somewhere and that may mean paying more tax or what have yep. you so there 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 are potential answers to it it's it's and it it's not like an insoluble problem or just something that no one could ever resolve because of the because people are at loggerheads it just makes it clear there it, has to be a collective choice on this and it it does you know i don't have the answer it it from an economic standpoint i let, let's take a look at the workers the workers want them to make the changes. They don't want to pay for it. Uh, and, and as long as they don't have to pay for it, they're fine with it. But when it comes down to, oh, by the way, you're going to be laid off for six months and you won't get any pay, then, you know, suddenly it's, it, it's and it's a, it would be a huge hardship for them. I'm not, yeah, I'm not so trying to underplay that. I mean, that's a terrible suggestion. cost that somebody would. Uh, so if, if the UK government stepped up and paid the 100,000 pounds, Right, that would be dispersed over the taxes of, in theory, everyone in the country. But it would be everyone in the country except for the rich people who get the tax loopholes. But, but you know, basically speaking, it would be a drop in the nothing over the population of the UK. Right, but there's a lot of drops of nothing. Uh, yes, start adding up at some point. And at what point do you go? Well, I, we don't know how many people work at that factory, do we? Did they mention that? No idea. No idea. But a hundred, two hundred, maybe at the most. Like at what point do you? Well, yeah, that's just not enough to to help. Um, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, because you because you I, have I, because you have to you have to have a program that says this is this is where the, this is where the funding comes from. We have money here. 
in order to support um, communities, smaller towns, whatever you know, whatever it is, you 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 you've got to include within your budget a tranche of money, and it and that has to be fairly distributed. Otherwise, you get into the kind of situation with rotten boroughs, which you know it does happen. Um, of course, it happens where the money is being spent in, let's say, conservative constituencies or conservative marginal constituencies by a conservative government because they want to ensure that they get their MPs re-elected in those constituencies. So there are all sorts of games that that, um, could be played with this. Similarly, the, 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 the suggestion that workers might have to go without pay or whatever, and the suggestion that the 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 factory could be closed down would be a typical negotiating tactic in order to get yeah. the union to back down on their demands so i i mean That's immediately true. say you're going to have to go for all this time without pay i think goodness me that is a completely outrageous demand i i think that in their situation, I, I, I'm pretty clear what I would be wanting to argue for, which is that the the factory, that some some sort of subsidy is put in for the factory, and that if necessary, that means yes, paying a a, a, a local tax or whatever for it, mm-hmm. but making it as fair as possible. But the 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 problem, as ever, is, and you know, this is this is the whole issue with democracy people will vote for candidates who offer things that are completely incompatible yeah so they will say yeah yes we'll keep your your hospital open but at the same time yes we will have a an internal market within the health service and hospitals that are inefficient will close and actually that means your hospital is going to close and people will somehow manage to keep these contradictory ideas in their head. Yes, we want a a free market, but yes, we also want a safe but unprofitable factory um, to be paid for by a company whose purpose is providing returns for their shareholders. It It's just, it's, it's not real. And so the company's decision... And I, and I, again, we've, we've said it like it's the fact that it's off screen and you just, you know, it's a bean counter or at least that's what it comes off to me, but you're right. It could have been a negotiating tactic, but it comes off as a bean counter issue to me. So we looked at it. We got to spend a hundred thousand pounds. That's not worth it because this factory doesn't make enough money. We already have a factory. We can just ship these workers. That will be less cost to us to move them to Leicester and put them up in housing, which I assume they still probably have to pay for, uh, uh, you know, it's it's subsidized, but it's it's not portrayed yeah, but, as being a negotiating tactic. I mean, I think it, I think it's, it's right. It's not portrayed from the that way, way that the the factory manager reacts to it that he is completely surprised by it, and yep. and it's not like that because he he's the one doing the the industrial relations in Carlingham. They would they would be sending him in to negotiate, like. Yeah, fair enough. You know, fair here, enough. Here's, the, here's the situation. So either you back down on this or the factory closes. And they don't say that. They say, we, we in effect, what they're saying is, we understand the recommendations from Doomwatch. We agree that these safety measures are probably inevitable. We need to do something like it. But 
it's not cost effective for us to do it to a, a, a factory the fabric of which is no longer appropriate for the work that we're doing it it's it's just a better business decision to say let's uproot everything and shift it to Leicester and they are literally saying there are going to be no redundancies so mm-hmm. it you know it they could they could be a lot worse yeah it, it it's it seems to be just Harding and I was I wonder I mean Quist puts out the idea of okay keep Omnistar being produced here that's profitable and move superstar to the other location but they still have to do some safety upgrades and that's going to cost money and it's still going to put some people out and 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 it seems to me like if there's anything that's that's a little bit underexplored and unrealistic in this story it is you have to spend one hundred thousand dollars or pounds pardon me you have to spend one hundred thousand pounds and shut the factory down for six months and we know that's not strictly true because they could start spending and they could put the cage over the exhaust pipes. They could put the barbed wire around the roof. They, there are things that they could probably incrementally do with time that if the workers weren't so worried about their own health over the next five years, that could have mitigated how long those safety standards are in place. Or it took to get those safety standards in place. What I wonder is, and, and they don't go into that, but what I wonder is, if you did that, let's say we put the we put the fence, the cage over the top right away in the barbed wire tomorrow. Somebody just comes out and does that. That'll cost them you know, nothing of that hundred thousand pounds. Having identified them and <laughs> I'm having not sure a, you understand the the context of nineteen seventies Britain. It, it's and that's very that's very possible but relative to those 100,000 pounds i do not believe that putting a cage over that pipe that we saw on the roof and i admit i see those cages all over the place here right we that that's just a thing you put over an exposed pipe so that people mm-hmm. won't break it <clears throat> you just do and um and the factory plant didn't look so big that they couldn't put a fence up over it to to keep kids out for a small fraction of that hundred thousand dollars or a hundred thousand pounds i'm just going to keep calling it dollars until we get parity between the pound and the dollar and um anyway having if you identify if the company identifies we agree these things need to be put in place and here's our plan we'll get them put in place in within five years incrementally with minimal disruption maybe they have to lay the workers off for a couple weeks at a time here and there well they could do it It, it, theoretically they could do it not knowing what the exact recommendations are but let's let's say that they could do it if uh two years into that somebody dies because they hadn't finished that safety are they now more at liability because once you've acknowledged that there's a safety risk you cannot allow it to continue morally or legally legally morally we know it's true i don't legally i don't know know the legal answer because i I wonder it's certainly true yes because i think i think that would be well isn't in theory if you could take that to a jury then you're 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 in a way you're kind of trying to convince them morally to make that legally true (laughs) but i um maybe that's how our jury trials work it just I, i just wonder if you know having had the recommendations put on the table that and then saying yeah you're right 
that we can no lo- we can now no longer delay taking care of this. Because well, I think that's do, right. That, but that is partly that is partly what Doomwatch does. Is it it exposes things that need to be addressed, and you can't ignore them. Which is why Duncan that, that, wants that's the report not, removed. Exactly. So it, the only th- the only thing you can possibly do is apply pressure to say, oh, well, you know, can we just, can we undo what you have said? Can we, can we have you go, oh, well, actually we overlooked this or that. And so maybe this isn't so critical. And I think this episode does that rather nicely. Hmm. I, I, back to the, the argument. And, and I hope, I hope by the time our listeners hear this podcast, which I think will be, two or three months at least from the date we're recording this in in march of 2020 um but i thought it was it was interesting this morning that i was looking through my social media and 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 i hope you're all months in advance in the future i hope covid19 has has not devastated the world and that everyone is fine and uh so we're we're at an earlier stage here where I am. I think it was interesting that this very morning I saw an, a press conference or press session with your prime minister, uh, where someone Don't hold was me responsible for him. I'm not holding him, but he's, you're stuck with him. So he's yours. Um, <laughs> I didn't vote for him, but still, uh, was putting him the question about, I guess they're planning to offer loans to businesses that are impacted by, the uh, COVID-19 situation from people self-sequestering themselves and the the reduction in business in the market. And and somebody rightly put that question to him. uh, Do you think that businesses are going to look at that and say, I don't want to take, you know, I'm on the margin now. I don't want to take on more debt just to try to ride through this situation. And, you know, the implication of the question is, Shouldn't we just be, I guess, giving them money is is the or something that will help them rather than giving them a short term term loan that they're still going to have to pay back and and it's still a, a business liability. They're, they're basically not helping; they're just dispersing it across time. And I don't think he had an answer for it, but I just thought it was it was really interesting that that exact role of business to their expenses and and how much society is is willing just came up this morning which is it which is why i thought it was like well some things have never and will never change possibly but there we go i did notice uh quist said uh you know we got 30 years and then it's are pretty much you know all done and and as you say here we are 50 years later and uh are we better I I I don't want to ignore many of the advances that, especially after I've recently read Hans Rosling's Factfulness, which illustrates very effectively the many kind of psychological traps that our own minds seem to set for us in terms of assuming that things have gone backwards. People are mm-hmm. remarkably bad, myself included, at assessing how much progress has been made. Oh, yeah. The, the, the world is objectively better and has been objectively better for decades from moving forward. You know, so if, if you, you look if at you things measure like, it, but... 
yeah, if you look at things like health and safety, we certainly have made huge leaps forward. I think the thing that um, that Rosling concludes with is there are some very very serious things, although although there are plenty of things that you shouldn't be worried about because they are better. There are still some things that you should be worried about because they are very very serious, and so one of those is the climate crisis and. I think that I think the the point I would take from this episode is that you can apply the whole issue about how you know everyone has their own particular interest in keeping the status quo there is a a growing consensus that something needs to be done but lots of the people who accept that still say it should be someone else who is doing the something. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then there's another um, sizable minority of people for whom the chosen course is to basically adhere so hard to their wishful thinking that they're refusing to acknowledge that anything needs to be done because that's preferable to actually doing anything about it. And that is still true today. So and 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 particularly in the context of that line that Chris Chris uh, said that economic growth is is going to choke us. Mm. He, he, That's he also still the said, issue. He also said raise production, raise consumption, raise wages, raise the standard of living. You know, as if it's some sort of it, it's the mantra of yeah. You know, production will raise the standard of living. It's trickle down economics described. Yeah. Uh, as, uh, as 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 in a, in a less uh, succinct way than than check it out. Uh, do you this this raises a, a sort of tangential issue? Here we are talking about Quist calls it pollution, right? At, at one point, we we are talking about a specific safety problems, but he is referring to it as pollution because it's a number of different things. And I remember in the 70s uh that that was the the watchword, right? That that was the problem was pollution. Right? We were trying to fight pollution, give a hoot, don't pollute, do the all that kind of thing. And occasionally you would have an issue like acid rain that was a consequences of it polluted rivers people dying of of poisoning and and those were the those were the consequences of pollution but the problem is pollution right and but sometimes you'd only get things done by tying it to a specific effect acid rain right acid rain is a problem therefore we reduce sulfur sulfur dioxide emissions from factories the real problem is pollution which is a general term which covers a lot of different kinds of pollution, we get action because we have tied it to acid rain. Global warming feels like that to me, right? Global warming is the is the result of we're still on pollution. It is pollution. It's just a pollution that the effect is not as bad as the, well, not bad, that's, that's the wrong way to phrase it, but it is not as immediately <laughs> dramatically effectful as... You know, your hair falling out and the trees all dying because it rained on you hmm. one afternoon, right? That that has an immediate short-term, this is bad, things are dying, plastics are dissolving. Therefore, you're right, that pollution is bad. 
and I and I wonder if I don't know. I, I I just I kind of wonder if we have. Is it right to focus on the consequence, or is it? Should we be more focused on the general problem, which is pollution? And I don't know, because because it's a, then then we're in the range of marketing, right? We're in we're in the range of getting people motivated. We're 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 not talking about root causes. We're talking about end results. I'm kind of a root causes guy, right? I like to track it back to its problem. And of course, eventually I track it back to capitalism. And then, then you get into arguments with people. But yeah. uh, <laughs> so what are you, a communist? It's like, actually, no, I'm not. But, but, but I can see the problems with, I can see what happens if you have capitalism without restraint. Everything is but to I... be exploited to its maximum degree for maximum profit. I mean, that's goes right down to it but the root of this episode is someone has to pay there has to be yep there has to be some way of making this choice yeah. because otherwise you're just letting capitalism kill you we can't we can't make 100 percent profit yeah I, I don't know that i have anything else uh, on this episode uh, i just i just want to say it's the third lenny main episode of Doom Watch, and so some of this is going to be sounding like a broken record, but he's really, uh, Lenny really good. Lenny Main, the director of oh, okay. this, this episode, but he also directed the one with um, Patrick Troughton in it, uh, in, in the Dark, and The Inquest a couple of episodes oh, back. Okay. Um, both, both of which I thought, I mean, quite different episodes, but both really, really nicely directed. In many ways, I thought this this one was, uh, the, the direction was much more flashy and noticeable. And yet I still, I still, oh, I mean, yeah. the, the opening sequence, the, the, the pre-title sequence, where the, the kid's neighbour is carrying the ladder across the road and then extending it and putting it up on the factory and it shoots, he shoots through the ladder as he's extending it. And, and, and the, you know, the whole thing, it's one of these, it's one of these examples when I see something like that and I just think they do not make television like that anymore. They, they might still have been doing no. it in the eighties, nineties maybe, but the speed of television now would mean you could not do something like that. And yet you sit there and you just, you can't help but watch fascinated by what he's arranged on the screen, what his actor's doing, the way they're moving, the way the whole thing is staged. It is just mesmerising. Okay, I, I, I actually have, I have a comment there. Um, I, there were a couple points in this episode where I noticed the direction and I'm not going to put a good or bad judgment on it because I wasn't doing that. I, re I really wasn't. I was thinking, well, yes, certainly would not ever have television where you saw a guy pack up a ladder, walk it across the street, <laughs> set it back up, run the thing. And and my mind was like, yeah, like that ladder that he was painting is the same height as the, the factory that they're going to go on. Oh, 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 he's got to extend the rungs. Wow, we're going to watch the whole process. I'm <laughs> amazed here. Is he going to attach the safety ropes? Uh, <laughs> or is he going to do the... And I was watching that going, yeah, you'll, you would never, ever, ever see television like that. They just would not allow somebody to cross the road unless 
something was going to happen while they're on the road. And I will say that I watched that and I thought, I, and you are, you are kind of drawn into, I am kind of drawn into it. But part of that is because I know that something really bad is going to happen somewhere in this short sequence. <laughs> right? Didn't it is? But you could you could direct you could direct a sequence like that in which the bad thing happened, and the and the whole thing the pace of the whole thing was just much more. You know, you were going full tilt towards the bad thing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was just thinking that if this were in a different show, a show that we didn't know was about disasters, then you might be watching that scene going, "Hmm, this is kind of slow." But instead, I felt I'm like I was sure. watching it going, they're building tension. I, I don't know, but that, that I think the tension is mind. inherent. The tension is inherent in the way that it is directed. And if, if you're saying this is the same guy that did the Patrick Troughton in the dark, mm -hmm. right? Didn't we comment on the weird fact that that director had placed the guy drowning uh at before the credits and then after the mm -hmm. credits you kind of have this weird thing where you come back and you're still with that disaster and they did exactly the same thing in this episode that's true i didn't i noted i noted that mentally and i didn't write it down and now you mention it it's exactly the same thing as in the dark and i can't remember if they did that in the inquest because i don't remember pass what the opening disaster was in the inquest but there, there were there were there were other quite distinctive things in the way this direct was directed. Well, there was that montage, yes, <laughs> at I the was factory say, with the stills and the music. Hardcastle, yeah, the funky music and Hardcastle is doing the interviews. But instead of seeing him interviewing, which you could easily have done with filmed footage, you see stills mm -hmm. of him interviewing. That did and, stand and, out. And and indeed, and similarly, the sequences with the the, the housewives were very kind of like Vox Populi of the time. Um, and the, and actually the, the scene that I thought was really quite spectacular, um, though not spectacular in a sort of special effects, cars blowing up kind of way, but just in a really quite complicated, interestingly directed way, was the, the committee where the, you have the telephone call and often in television of that era where you see someone in on a telephone and there are other people in the room you hear the conversation on the telephone and you don't hear what the other people are saying because usually they're just moving their lips so that it doesn't distract from the conversation and you can watch that scene and you can hear every word that is being spoken on the telephone and you can watch it again and you can hear every word that is being spoken in the conversation in the background even though they're speaking at the same time and all of all all of the action is somehow captured on camera and without you uh, because it's it's a close-up shot of the telephone and yet you can see everything that is going on but i think it's just it must have been very very carefully set up and quite difficult to accomplish but it just looks effortless that's really weird because my recollection was that you could not hear anything on the phone at all in that conversation you mean the other party on the phone yeah you couldn't hear the other party you could hear oh okay yes oh okay 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 
So what, gotcha. what, I, what, I, what I mean is, he, he, his, his half of the conversation, the other part was obviously implied, his half of the conversation, he was speaking over what the conversation in the background was. So you had a conversation yeah. in the background going on at the same time as you had at least half of the conversation in the foreground. It's very difficult to follow them both at the same time. And yet somehow you can hear what they're all saying. Hmm. Well, I, I hadn't noticed it, but uh, but you're right. I mean, there, there were things going on and, and you could you could clear them out. So, yeah. And then, of course, you you had the 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 kind of crash close up of Quist right at the end, which I thought was um, a bit I'm ready for my close up now. But <laughs> it probably has to be mentioned. Yeah, I don't think you said the director's name was DeMille, so I couldn't, <laughs> couldn't be quite that. <laughs> well, I think uh, that was the end of series two Indeed of Doomwatch. And there are only three existing episodes in series three. I know, it's unbelievable. They managed to keep the whole of series two and then junk most of series three. I thought they'd learn yeah. their lesson after series one, but there we go. Apparently not. So uh, we'll be jumping ahead. I don't know. I think it's four episodes. Uh, and I don't have the name of it off the top of my head. But uh, uh, when we're back on Doomwatch, we'll be looking at Series 3. Simon, thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure, as always. Listeners, I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. You've been listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Find out how you can be a sponsor and get early access to all episodes and more at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. Come join the conversation on Facebook or Twitter. All episodes are available at fusionpatrol.com. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production.